That was my key number. When I walk in that Monday meeting, I wanna know how many leads we got in that week. I'm not worried about the contracts. You guys might be worried about like, oh, did we get any good houses this week? I don't care, because I know the numbers will play out. I wanna see what number we had. 80 polio leads, I'm like, we're good. If it's 30, I'm like, something's broken. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Hey, what's going on, my fellow flip hackers? Hope you guys are all doing awesome. So last week, uh, in last week's episode, I let you get a sneak peek. I let you be a fly on the wall and listen into the last six-figure flipping intensive meeting, the, the first part that we did, 20 minutes of it, and Andy was just dropping gold bombs, boom, 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 and I've heard from a ton of you of how great you thought that was, and you're like, we want more, so like I mentioned last week, uh, we're going to do gonna be a three-part series, so last week was part number one, today is part number two, and next week will be part number three, so I will not ramble too much, um, I'm really excited, if you have not registered for the webinar that we have going on this Thursday, just to be clear, in case you listen to this in the future and, and you missed it, I'm, I'm sorry, but it'll be this Thursday, um, January 26th at 5 o'clock Pacific Time, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern. You can go to housewhippinghq.com slash dominate to register, and I cannot wait to see you there. Now, as far as this episode goes, if you have not yet listened to last week's episode, you might want to do that first. I'm sure you'll still get a ton of value in, at, from it, but you might be a little confused because it's just going to continue from last week. So anyway, without any further ado, I give you back to the one and only Mr. Andy McFarland. If you're thinking about sending any marketing, if you're thinking about spending money on marketing, right? Am I thinking about spending money on marketing? If the answer to that is yes, you should probably be looking at somebody to answer the phone, unless you're willing to sit by the phone and like answer it all day long. The answer for you is like a month ago. Because what's going to happen is, what's going to happen is this, and I know this, this like vicious cycle is going in your mind. Do. You're like, I don't want to hire somebody because I don't have the, quite the mail going out yet or whatever. And then you don't hire that person and then you're like, well, I don't want to send more mail because I don't, you know, I don't want to answer the phone now. I'm going to Utah this weekend. I'm doing this stuff, right? So what happens? Your business is stagnating because you, you didn't want to hire somebody because you thought it was going to cost too much money. And you want to send the mail because you don't want to answer the stuff. So it's like, which comes first, the chicken and the That egg? is the biggest no-brainer ROI on your money, like, Oh, it ever. makes your marketing money so much more effective. We proved that this year. Yeah. So use it or, or no. Yeah. That's probably a basic question. What's your name just so I can not say? Gary. 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 Cool. Podcast episode number one. Something I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the question was: uh, If you're paying someone per hour to answer a phone, do they just like you have them work nine to five and just if the phone rings, they can pay regardless? Or yeah, is it just like based on how many calls they take throughout the day? And you can play with this however you guys want because you can set the position you want. We act, we pay somebody to answer the phone nine to five. We actually have some part-time people, too. It's like the two people that work underneath Laura, she's full-time, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and they stagger their start time. Some start earlier at 8 because we do business in, in Indianapolis, East Coast time, and some of them you know, stagger till 6. And I think we alternate working on some Saturdays. And we don't answer on Sunday, but Pat Live probably answers on Sunday for us. But, um, yeah, we're paying them there, right? So I know what you're thinking. Like, I don't want to be paying somebody to sit around. You can give them some tasks to do, Craigslist ads, whatever you want to do. You can have them do some things, but I would be careful with that because – they might gravitate towards doing those tasks and the phone might ring and they're like, ah, I'll just do these tasks. No, no, no. They need to know without question. The number one priority is the phone. If there's a phone, is there a person to call back or if there's a person to, that, that's ringing in, you need to answer that phone call. Nothing else matters, right? So be careful. How do you monitor that if they're you know, working maybe from home or they're just on their cell or something? 
Yeah, and our people do work from home because you'll see our office is extremely small. Uh, I've actually only met our two other phone people once. So. Well, we've got, so the back-end system, you can ask, that's a great question for Jason. Murphy's coming out. He set up our back-end system. I think we use Simply for our, like, voiceover, like, our VoIP system. And I think you can log, you can see who's answering the phone when they're answering it. You can, I mean, it's all this digital techie stuff behind the scenes. Some of you guys could probably speak to that. Like, you can know exactly. It records calls. When did they pick it up? How many rings was it? I mean, you can really, you can big brother them to death if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people get that way too, you know, that they have that trust issue with their employees and stuff, you know, that all of them are going to come late, leave early, and steal while they're there. And while that might be true, it's better than you doing it probably. You'll be 100% effective and they'll be 70% effective, but... You, once you, when you have you employees, like, you know if they're working or not. I mean, we've only had one instance where we were like, is this person really, like, are they just incompetent? Are they not getting anything done? I did this, it was, this was back in the day when they've come to our house to work. We did a search on the computer, and it's like, yeah, she was all over the place. We could tell. Like, we knew. Like, it's yeah. so clear. Like, with Kyle and Vanessa and Kale, I'm having to tell those guys, stop working. <laughs> like, take a break, right? Like, if you hire eight players, like, you'll know. I mean, if you're making a ton of money, like, things are going well. Like, you get to a point where you don't, you don't worry about it. Yeah. It just, it just works. Yeah. yeah. Kind of piggyback that a little bit. We actually had a guy literally quit. The first day of the year with them, <coughs> because we kind of could all feel that it wasn't working. Yeah. Tell why we were doing it. I scheduled a year-end review, and then 15 minutes later, I got an email saying effective immediately we quit. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it kind of happens. I mean, it's one of those things. Where it's a I'm glad it got squeezed faster. I didn't have to worry about a whole long, drawn-out firing process. But you do know, as a business owner, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, because you can see their ultimate results. And that's one thing Justin and Andy. Yeah, was it's about. so clear. Manage your results, not necessarily. I mean, you track and you look at and you enforce and you reinforce the activities, but the results are ultimately what really do matter. You want to be clear up front on the expectations, but he's right. At the end of the day, it's all about the results. And don't don't use that as an excuse to not hire somebody. You think, well, if I hire somebody, they're not going to work out, or I need to find the most perfect person before they work out. No, mm-hmm. hire somebody, and then refine that process and make them better. And that first phone person didn't work out. We hired somebody else. I've had sales reps that don't work out, so we hired somebody else, right? But, and then are they perfect? No. But they're better than what we had before, right? So we're just refining it, and we're yeah. tweaking the machine, like I said. You will continue to tweak your machine. You're normal. You know, I, I, like I said at the very beginning of this, you guys will see that we're not perfect. You'll poke holes in this thing. They're like, well, you guys should be doing this. You guys should be doing that. True, but we're doing a lot of things right, and there's holes, and we're plugging the hole systematically one at a time. The biggest hole first, and the next, and the next, and the next, as we deem it by the data. If you try to be perfect, you won't, you won't get anywhere. Yeah, done is action, the new perfect, right? That's why I said that earlier. Perfect I'm is to take the, it from the top the down enemy, all the way. The enemy of the entrepreneur. Done is the new perfect. Doubts. You mentioned the KPI for We try to encourage that because that, you're right. They say, that, like, well, how do I control that? How do I control your marketing? And it's somewhat sporadic. We do what we can do. We control what we can control, but it's somewhat sporadic. Elections, uh, holidays, and all that stuff. And sometimes, you know, mail's not hitting that week. But, yeah, we do have some tasks where they can, they can comb, like, those Craigslist-style ads that can look for stuff. We, we know it's a lot less effective, so we don't bug them too much on that. I just know the numbers will play out over time. We have some weeks where we do 110 leads, and some weeks it's, like, 35. Like, we had a, a bad week, like, Christmas and stuff. Like, nobody's, nobody's thinking about work. So we get it. But, but I know the numbers will play out. I know that in 2016, my key number to hit our three was 80 podio leads per week. You know what our average was? 83.3-something. So we hit it. 
So I knew at the beginning of the year, that was my key number. When I walk in that Monday meeting, I want to know how many leads we got in that week. I'm not worried about the contracts. You guys might be worried about like, oh, did we get any good houses this week? I don't care because I know the numbers will play out. I want to see what number we had. 80 polio leads, I'm like, we're good. If it's 30, I'm like, something's broken. We got to make sure we fix that because the other numbers will play out as the people and the salespeople will control what they can control. We, we recently hired a lead intake person and there, because it was Christmas and things like that, there were moments where she didn't have a ton to do. So Kale gave her a whole bunch of dead leads and just called, called, called and a lot of them came back to life that we thought were totally done. So, hey, you can use them as follow-up, right? You can use them as follow-up system. Um, processing the lead. So, um, comparables, and everybody's gonna process them a little differently, but you know, looking at comparables helps you process the lead. Tax data, that's just stuff that you're gonna, you're gonna go through. And who's processing those leads? You can ask yourself that, right? You can have a specific person doing that if you have a big enough operation, or you can have your salespeople doing that, or you could have, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, we had, uh, before my little brother passed away, he was doing this. He was doing our lead process and comping everything for three states and preparing appointments for all these sales reps. <laughs> and they didn't recognize how much he was doing, man. Like, they did <laughs> not have a clue what he was doing because, you know, we had to retweak the machine. Um, so he, we put all that on the sales reps, which they were using him as a crutch for way too long. And the reason we started in that way, because we were tweaking our machine years ago, my sales rep had no idea how to comp. And we're like, we don't want you comping anyway. We want you out here. So he's running appointments. He's Preparing appointments for her, not a big deal, right? Then we go into another state, okay? Not a big deal, he's doing it for two. Well then as we were growing, you know, where he started with that three years ago, we changed, we morphed. So we were trying to move away from that system anyway because it was a crutch for our sales reps. And, and now, that, now that we've had to change the system because the team member is no longer with us, um, now it's, um, we have our sales reps do it, right? But ultimately that is gonna be better because a sales rep preparing their own appointment increases their market knowledge it increases uh, their sales ability, I think, there too. And I recently told one of my sales reps this, time spent in front of a seller and doing comparables is never wasted. So one of my reps was like, oh man, I spent eight hours, or no, it wasn't eight, it was five hours with this older lady, right? Building rapport and doing all this stuff because he lived in the house forever, right? And he was like, oh man, and I'm like, that time, I wanted to, I saw him for the company meeting, that time was not wasted. You do that, right? And he wasn't even talking about the house, you know, they were just doing whatever they were doing because she just, she wanted to talk to him and she wanted to feel validated and they were building rapport and it was real. I'm like, that, I applauded that. Like, that's fine. We're not a production shop, right? We're like, you need to do that. We, we sell on an individual basis. And then the comparable thing, they're all complaining because now they had to do their own comps. They're like, wow, I had no idea what Matt was doing because we're, we're doing all of our own comps here, right? How did he do all this stuff? I'm like, what he was doing for six, you need to do for yourself, right? And um, I said, that time is not wasted because they said after a couple of weeks, they're like, yeah, it's kind of cool because I was running comps here and I was just gaining market knowledge as I was doing that. And those of you that have run comparables, you know that as you're digging in, you see neighborhoods, you see pockets, you see trends. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. East of that street's this and that way. It's just, it's just this knowledge that just like seeps in that you don't even recognize, but you just become this market expert. Is that going to make them sell better? Absolutely. They're going to be out there and they're going to see a house and like, oh, I know that one. We did the one right down the street. Yeah, yeah, so it's this and that. And then they'll be, they'll be such a market expert, right, from doing that. So that time is never wasted. That's what our reps do now. But they're going to do comparables, tax data. Um, don't judge the leads too harshly because sometimes we're pretty quick to say, especially people that are less experienced in the business, are going to be like, oh, that's not a deal. Gone, right? Well, hang on, let's take a step back. Could you do something out of that? Could you do something? Is that a short sell? Is that a listing lead? Is that maybe a seller finance play for a rental property, right? Can you do something with it? It's not all the cash hammer. Those of you guys who watched that uh, seller finance training I did, selling seller finance, I did that specifically so my salespeople could get a better um, industry knowledge of how they could structure a seller finance deal so they could turn properties that weren't particularly into deals into a deal, right? When they hear somebody say, it's worth 100 and I want 100, they don't turn off their brain and say, well, that's not a deal. I'm not going to see them. No, you go see them, you ask a few other questions, and you can structure a deal like this, a terms deal, right? 
which to those of us that are like kind of older real estate people in the room, you're like, oh yeah, terms deal, that makes perfect sense. Well, to people that are just the lay people that just are sales guys, right? They don't understand that. They don't know that you can give someone 100 grand for a house that's worth 100 grand and you can actually make money at that. Um, so no lead left behind too, right? You paid money to generate that lead. And from my spreadsheet, all I can tell you exactly I, how much money I paid to have that lead in my CRM. So treat it accordingly. In fact, you need to treat it accordingly and know in your head what that cost you to get. And if you've got salespeople or whatever, you, maybe you should tell them periodically, you know, by the way, John Smith, you said was not a good lead. That cost me $150 to get him. What? $150? Bucks? Yeah, $150 bucks to get you in front of that guy. So you better make sure you're talking to him, building rapport, following up, squeezing that lead out, doing whatever you can do, because that cost me $150 bucks to get that person there, right? Um, sales appointment. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning, so I'm kind of doing this in a, a structured sequence, right? And, um, so I'm bringing team members in in the order that makes sense to me. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna, it's going to be more of a sales emphasis, so we'll talk about this stuff. Pre-work, I'll dig into detail tomorrow morning what that is, how I prepare appointments um, for my sales reps or how I want them to prepare the appointments, and how when I went on the appointments, how exactly I prepared for that. So I, I had some, that was my last position, right, in the company. Go live, three equals one. Three, this, this is my data, guys. And it's, you know, junk in, junk out, but I think this is pretty good data. Three equals one. My salespeople are like, that wasn't a good appointment. I don't want to go on that. I just call them pre-screen on the phone. When my salespeople get in, in front of three different people, they get one contract. That's not like the leads per contract. That's like, if you go and just get in front of three people, the numbers tell me you will get one contract. And that kind of were like, they, they took that and they took a step back like, wow, really? So when I say I want you to go on eight live appointments a week, that's so that you can get two contracts and there'll be some attrition there, right? Some of those contracts have to get tossed back or whatever, but like, you go on three and you'll get one. I tell my salespeople that. So go get in front of people. And when you go there, what do you do? You listen, you find the problem. No time spent in front of the seller is wasted. So whether this is you doing it or your team doing it, you guys need to teach your team to do this. Important. And we've got a lot of training on this stuff, right? We can talk about this stuff, but we've got a lot of training on this. A lot of um, John Martinez is great at this stuff, so any of his training is great. I've got some. Um, some stuff that I've done at like firma seminars. If you guys want this, it's good. So that's the sales. Again, that's going to be in-depth tomorrow. That is a very important piece. That's why I wanted to give like tomorrow morning for that before two of my sales reps come in that you guys can pick them apart. Like, I want to talk about that. Like, let's go in-depth and talk about how you prepare for appointments and what that looks like. But that's something everybody's follow-up. 30-year deals, we know that, right? The 30-year deals can follow. If you're not following up, you're wasting money. No leave left behind. Humans are best for follow-up. People say, what's your best follow-up system? And Justin said, you know, Doug's system, we're going to help you guys get all that and stuff. But Humans, in my mind, the humans are the first line of defense and they're the best follow-up. I want my salespeople just like on those leads because it costs me so much to get those leads. And if they go in front of three people, they're going to get one contract. Like I want the human follow-up because that human element, it's, you can't replace that. Technology is okay for touching people and whatever, but as we get immune to the emails and the texts and the voicemails and all that stuff as human beings, that you can't, you can't replace that human touch. So a human being yeah. that knows about another human being, that is the most effective thing. To be clear, the, the follow-up system is only for leads that you literally think these guys are dead. Like keep, keep reaching out to them as much as you can. Um, the follow-up system just aids the human being yeah, because it makes exactly. people come to the top that you can, you yeah. can hit again. And, but for and, the first 90 days, you're human. And Doug's follow-up system, like that, he gets a lot of deals from his follow-up, his initial 30-day or whatever, like phones following up. A third of his deals come from the dead leads that are like dead, dead. So, yeah. And how do you know? Yeah, there's a spectrum of leads, dead or not dead. But bottom line is, no lead left behind. Go get in front of people, build rapport, and you don't know. You just never know. Time and circumstances changes everything for sellers, and you just don't know when they're going to come around and say, you know what? I'm ready to take your offer. I've been really surprised before when I was on the front line. Um, so automated systems. There's some of that. So we'll talk about a little bit of that stuff. But the bottom line is, I think humans are best. I think humans are best.
Um, then the contract. So the contracting phase. And once you get the contract, you've got to decide what you want to do with it. And we all of us have different businesses here. Um, but you've got the wholesale. So if you get a wholesale contract, now it becomes a dispositions thing, right? How are you going to sell this property? How are you going to sell that wholesale contract? My dispositions guy is coming in tomorrow. So you guys are going to pick his brain apart how we go about doing that. And that's a sale. You have a contract that you're trying to sell this wholesale product to somebody else, sell that contract to somebody else. Make no mistake about it, that is a sale. That's a sale, right? You're trying to get that investor interest up there. Um, or if you're a retail flipper, dispositions might not be your bag because you're just flipping the thing. Uh, that's okay, but how do you manage that process, that project management? This is a role that we all play here, um, or somebody on your team is playing this. You get the contract, and you're doing one of those two things. And then transaction coordination. How are you doing that? There's so many nuts and bolts, and people want to get into the weeds of this stuff. And it's best just learn from experience. It's not extremely hard. It's not, you, know, you can hire people to do this stuff pretty quickly, too. Uh, our transaction coordination tr coordinators are coming in. We have two of them now. Um, they will both be in here unless it gets busy and they both can't leave for the hour. Um, but they'll both be here and you can hear them. And I think they both make uh, 12 to 15 bucks an hour. They're smart. They're good. They just process this stuff and they have to stay late some nights and everything. The nuts and bolts, but they're not extremely difficult, but it is time intensive, right? Making phone calls with buyers, sellers, title companies, just making sure we do this stuff. But here's some important stuff to think about that with transaction coordination. I told my team this this year. What should my transaction coordination team focus on? One is communication. Communication is key in life, really, but definitely in a transaction coordination sense. Setting those expectations with people. Like, when's the seller, what is the seller expecting? Making sure that you've set those expectations right. When are they coming in to close and all that stuff so there's not surprises. And then the buyer, too, if you're doing a wholesale transaction. What are they expecting? Because I can't tell you how many times that I heard about this year through our transactions, there was a blow up at closing. You said you were paying all my closing costs. Why do we have this and that? It's taxes, right? You guys dealt with this before? It's taxes. That's not a closing cost. You pay your own property taxes. Having to explain that to the seller. And then at that point, what do we do to save the deal? Buyers there, sellers there. They're not going to sign this and that. What do we do? We give up 500 bucks or 1000 bucks, right? So I saw this and I'm like, what can transaction coordination do? How can they affect like, the, the change in our business and help us hit our goals for 2017? Communication. It's as simple as talk to him. Hey, great here, Mr. Seller. When you first get the contract in, sit to title everything. Great here, Mr. Seller. It looks like here you've got this. You're getting $89,000 for the property. Oh, my goodness. You got him to pay all your closing costs. That's wonderful. Now, you understand what closing costs are, right? They probably explained to you that these are closing costs and these not. That simple conversation up front might save us 1000 bucks. So if that's in our system. So that's why I said to my people, communication is key. So we're not giving up thousands of dollars. And it's thousands, guys. Yeah, Will. Thank you for bringing up a good point. Just one thing that we... We've done there, but we had in Indianapolis and Indiana, you, you paid in the rears, right? So you always had to get your back. It happens all the time in Indy. And it became a constant problem. It became a thousand bucks. We were giving them up so easy because it happens right at the end. Yep. And you just do it. So we actually, our coordinator was having to deal with this, and it's stress on them at that point. And so uh, we broke it down exactly how it worked, wrote down a piece of paper, and made a sign and made a sign our contract. Can I get a copy of that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> see, guys? See, Andy? See it's guys? not all bad. See, guys? <laughs> but we, we were actually dealing with this right now, and we're like, we want to have a process for that. So I'm going to yeah. take your process, and we'll, we'll tweak it to meet our I had to twist awesome. Andy's arm to let Will into the group, but he, he no. conceded. And it's not me. It's the team members. Hope you guys are right? <laughs> reflecting to those guys. And they didn't say this. I just want to, like, protect them that way. But we're good. Um, so communication <laughs> is key. And there's one other thing here. Seeing through the transaction. And you... For, all of us, for those of us that have been in real estate for a little bit, you kind of know the way it's going to go a little bit, right? You take that for granted. Take that for granted. These people that we bring in for transaction coordination, they don't always quite know what to see in this transaction. And some people are more proactive and forward-thinking than others, right? 
But you guys know some people that seem to be absent-minded, like it's snowing, but they don't bring a jacket or whatever, right? So transaction coordination, that's not a place that you don't want somebody seeing through that transaction. A good example of this is when my sales rep sign up a seller finance deal, they get something that maybe it's a subject to deal, right? So they're like, hey, we're going to buy the, we're going to you know, take the mortgage and we're going we're to service those payments, right? And they give it to the transaction coordinator. In my mind, the first thing I should be thinking is, great, get the payoffs, pull up title, what type of loan is it, right? Immediately, right? We need this information right now. So that down the line, everybody can know what this is, right? Because everyone's going to ask. If you're an investor, you're going to say, what type of loan is this? What's the balance? What's the interest rate? What's the principal? What's the payment stuff, right? We need to know that information. As a transaction coordinator, seeing through that transaction loans, if it says it's an FHA loan, trigger. Okay, we need to be aware of this because you can't get insurance on this stuff, uh, title insurance, stuff like that. They need to know that, see the transaction. We don't want to find out the day of closing where it's like, this is a great payment. This is a great loan. This buyer's great to get it. You know, they're putting this money down. We get to closing, and all of a sudden, they're like, what? We can't close this because it's an FHA transaction or whatever? Like, that was a, a failure on the transaction coordination. If they didn't see that and say, oh, it's this, I got I to gotta see through this transaction. Hope that makes sense. And loan officers that can't see through, through transactions are like my pet peeve, right? They get to the closing at the very end, and it's just like, oh, what? Right? So people that can see through transactions. So my team, transaction coordination, those two things, communication and seeing through the transaction. Just take a second to look at what this is. It's people's papers say, where are the potential pitfalls that could stop us that could, that could you know, cost us thousands of dollars or cost us this deal, right? So that's key for transaction coordination. Um, so who's doing it? Scaling starts there. I said, you guys, all of those things we just talked about is, is the, encompasses every aspect of our business here. And either you're doing it or someone else is doing it. So who's doing that in your business, you know? Rhetorical question. Um, so what are you spending your time on? And this might seem like you guys have heard this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but seriously, if, if you are everything that we just discussed for the last few minutes in your business... There's a problem, right? Because you have a capacity. We all have like this, this metaphorical cup that's like only can only fill so much water. And you're not gonna you're not gonna put more water into that cup, which means you're not gonna grow, you're not gonna scale, you're not gonna do anything else, because you can't do any more than this. Even if you might be a rock star, 90 hours a week, whatever, right? You can't do more than that. So if you are doing things you shouldn't be doing or low value tasks, how much is your time worth? If you want to make a million dollars and divide that by two thousand working hours in a in a year, right? That's five hundred dollars an hour. So if you think that you're going to make $500 an hour by doing transaction coordination, you're fooling yourself. You can't work 80 hours in a week and do 4,000 hours in a year and do that. You can't do it, right? So it's simple logic, but sometimes we don't stop and think. Thinking is one of the most underutilized activities, right? But coming to a weekend like this gives us an opportunity to step back from our business and say, okay, let's think about this for a second. So if you don't want to hire a phone person and pay them 12 bucks an hour, just recognize when you're answering the phone, not only is your capacity being used by that, but you're paying yourself $12 an hour. And if you want to do that, don't expect, don't write down, I want to make a million dollars, then answer your phone. Because you do not have enough hours in your day or week to do that type of stuff. So think about that. So a good activity might be in a quiet corner sometime, and maybe this weekend. Write down, what are all of the activities that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? And that's the first step, right? You don't have to have the answer to what you do about that. That's the first step. And then you can look at that list and say, how can I not do that? Can I eliminate that? Can I delegate that? Who else can do that, right? And now you're starting to scale. That's the first step of scaling. Recognize that. Recognize it. So what's your time worth? You can only do so much. That's why I said your cup, is, your cup is full. And if your cup is like, Andy, I'm stressed. You don't understand. I'm doing this, this, and that. I can't do those things. Well, that's where you got the problem. You need to step back and recognize your cup is full. And until you drain that cup a little bit by delegating or eliminating something, you can't fill it up with anything else. You can't fill it with higher value tasks. I could not be standing here today if I was still going on sales appointments and doing all those other things. I just couldn't do it, right? But now I'm able to drain my cup. Other people are doing it, and I fill my cup up with other things. Every guys have heard nature abhors a vacuum, right? It tends to fill things up. So as you drain your cup, you will fill it up, hopefully with higher value tasks as you're proactive with that in your life. Um, 
And then once you do that, once you learn that key skill in every aspect of your life, you need to lead by example. And as you do that, your team's going to do that too. Because you're going to expect people doing that underneath you. Does that make sense? Because I, I when I have somebody to answer my phone, I want them to elevate. I don't want them answering the phone at $15 an hour for the rest of their life. Laura came in. You'll meet her later this afternoon. She came in, and she was making pretty good money, but she was answer, just answering the phones. But we recognized in her that she had a management capacity, that she could manage more people because we knew as we were growing, she could manage other phone people, and she has. So she manages the two people underneath her. So her bucket was full, so we allowed her to drain her bucket a little bit by managing the people underneath her, right? Does that make sense? So you need to do it in your life and then tearing everybody down the line because it's not fair for you to be grinding your people and redlining them all the time and thinking that they're going to be superhuman. People have capacities, whether they recognize it or not, and you as a business owner want to get efficiency and productivity out of everybody on your team for their quality of life and also for the efficiency of your operation. So make sure you lead by example so that you can tell them to do this exact same process you did, right? Tell them, write down to what are you doing, see is it worth your time. If somebody's going to the courthouse to get probate information and they calculate what it's costing them to do that, yet there's a service over here that they can do it for the same or just a little bit more cost, wouldn't it be worth your time to have that? Wouldn't you love that team member to come to you and say, look, I'm doing this, um, but why don't we just pay this people to do it and then I can save the time to do that and now I can go do something else? I'm going to applaud that team member, right? Like, that's great. I want them doing that. And to the extent you've got people down the line doing that from you, you're going to win. You're going to win. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, man, good stuff, good stuff. I love this business. Um, all right, guys, two days from the time you're getting this, if you have not yet registered for Thursday's webinar, go to com slash dominate. The mics. Uh, Andy's on a Disney cruise. Actually, he might be back by, by now, but um, Andy's been gone on a Disney cruise. And I talked to Mike and Mike, and they said they would love to do a webinar with us, sharing um, with you the, the the number one thing that they did last year to help them go from where they were doing a couple deals a month, just kind of getting by, paying the bills, to where they are now making a six-figure income each and every single month in today's market. It's crazy. And why they're able to help me with coaching, and why they're able to go to... Fiji that I'm paying for in a little bit and their business is still going to run and why they're able to come help me at the six-figure flipping event and didn't have to take one call or do one thing and we're putting houses under contract. It's it's crazy. So anyway, I'm super excited for that. If you can't tell, um, I haven't planned it on the same day that I'm going to Thailand, <laughs> but anyway, it's going to be amazing. Go to housewomenhq.com slash dominate and we will see you then. Other than that, get out there. Have a great week. You guys are amazing. Um, hmm, I'm not going to be here next week, but I will, before I I'll record an intro and outro, and you guys will hear part three of this episode. So Kyle will be here. He'll still deliver. Um, you guys will still get another incredible episode next week. And I will be in Thailand um, cruising around on some amazing islands. I think Phuket is what it's called. I don't know anything about it. We've got this. The, we know we have a friend who their um, brother-in-law or something like that does this trip all the time. They travel the world. They said, this is the best trip they've ever done. And they're basically like doing the whole thing. This guy's, we're going to catamaran and he's going to go from island to island and just tell us everywhere we need to go. And we're going to explore these caves. And it just sounds incredible. And the best part about it, I love that I didn't have to plan any of it. So anyway, can't wait to update you guys on that. And um, I, don't know, I feel blessed. This is something that just a few years ago, um, we, we couldn't do. My wife and I couldn't afford things like this. Um, and the price was good. I'm still, you know, we're still frugal, but 
I don't even know how much I kind of know those things, right? We're just going to go enjoy ourselves. Our business will keep running. And I don't, don't say this to brag. I didn't even plan on talking about this, but um, just moments like this of reflection to be able to go and spend that time with, with my wife, um, with Tara. And um, I, just, I just feel, feel blessed. I feel blessed, but also it's because I was willing to do those things, right? Do those things that would allow me to live this life. And I know a lot of you guys are out there doing that. A lot of you guys are struggling, but remember we talked about last week, right? It's a, it's a, it's a brutal day. Like enjoy those moments, like work through those. And, um, once you create those things, once you create those systems in that life, when you look back at the struggles you went through, like you really appreciate them because they really do. It makes those moments so much more amazing. So anyway, all right, guys, I got distracted, but I love you all. I hope you have a great week. Go to housewinghq.com slash dominate to get on that webinar. And we will talk to you soon. See you in a couple days. Bye-bye. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.